Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis chapter 3, which records for us the temptation of Satan to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve's fall into sin. Genesis 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel." Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. 
thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And to Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. That's why we read God's word, and it's on the basis of that scripture and of all of God's word that we are instructed in Lord's Day 3 of the Heidelberg Catechism, questions and answers 6, 7, and 8. Question 6, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? Answer, by no means, but God created man good and after his own image in true righteousness and holiness that he might rightly know God his creator, heartily love him, and live with him in eternal happiness to glorify and praise him. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. Hence our nature is become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed we are, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. Beloved in Christ, the main question that is being asked in Lord's Day 3 is really the question that is summarized in question and answer 7. And that is this question. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? It's the question, why are we so depraved by nature? It's the question, what is the source and what is the origin of our proneness by nature to hate God and the neighbor? Why are we this way? How did this come about? Whose fault is it? Who is to blame? for our being sinners. And as the Heidelberg Catechism that 
we consider this morning answers those questions, one thing is obvious. The Catechism sets before us once again the greatness of our sins and our miseries. A number of very pointed statements are made in this Catechism about how great our sins and miseries are. The Catechism says we are wicked and perverse. The Catechism says that our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. And the Catechism says this as well, that by nature we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. The Catechism sets that before us, in addition to having already done so in the previous Lord's Day, because we still have that sinful nature. And we will have that sinful nature and carry it with us to the grave. We are still, by nature, inclined to all wickedness. We are still, by nature, incapable of doing any good. And that's something that we have to be aware of. And that's something that we have to acknowledge and admit as the people of God. As David did in Psalm 51, verse 5, when David said, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Confessing there, as we must also, I started out my life on this earth as a sinner, and I have continued to be a sinner every day of my life upon this earth. And I have continued to sin every day of my life. And it is, beloved, when by the grace of God we realize that and confess that and admit that, that then we see the wonder of and appreciate what we are in Christ. Catechism emphasizes what we are by nature. But it also opens the door for us to see what we are by grace, what we are in our Lord Jesus Christ. And though this Lord's Day speaks of our sin and speaks of our depravity, it mentions this specific work of Christ that changes that and that changes us. Namely, we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. And that makes all the difference. And for that, we give praise and thanks to God. Consider then together this morning on the basis of Lord's Day 3, 
why we have a depraved nature. And three things that we will note. First, we were not created that way. Secondly, we willfully sin against God. And thirdly, the significance of this for our salvation. Note, first of all, beloved, question and answer six of this Lord's Day. The question, did God then create man so wicked and perverse? That question could be put this way. Is God to blame for our sin? Is it God's fault? that we are by nature totally depraved. And behind that question is our understanding of the fact of the truth of Scripture that God is absolutely sovereign. Behind that question is our understanding that God is the only God and he is in control of everything, and that there is nothing that has ever happened, there is nothing that is happening, and there is nothing that will happen that is outside the counsel and will of God, and that is outside the power and the control of God. God is the reason why everything exists. God is the reason that everything exists because it is God who created the heavens and the earth and all that they contain. And it is God who created the angels and mankind and even Satan. And God is the reason behind everything that happens so that we confess concerning anything that takes place God did it. God did it. And so that leads to the question, what about sin then? What about sin? Since God is sovereign over all things, did God create sin? Since God is sovereign over all things, did God create sinners? And the answer of the Catechism, which is the answer of Scripture, is emphatically, by no means, absolutely not. God cannot in any way whatsoever be blamed for the existence and the presence of sin and sinners in this world. It's not God's fault that we are, by nature, totally depraved. We do well to recognize, beloved, that what the Heidelberg Catechism is teaching here is related to our confession that God is not the author of sin. There are some who accuse us who confess the Reformed faith. There are some who themselves reject 
the truth of God's absolute sovereignty, who accuse us of making God the author of sin because we maintain that God is sovereign over sin. And they will say to us, you confess that God ordained sin, and you confess that God controls sin, and you confess that God is sovereign over sin, and you confess that it is not Satan, but God who controls sinners and controls every sin that happens. And so they will say to us, as we maintain the absolute sovereignty of God over all things, including Satan and sin, they will say to us, you are guilty of making God the author of sin. You are guilty of of blaming God for the existence of sin and for the presence of sinners. In response to anyone who would bring up that accusation that we make God the author of sin, we do well to be aware of at least two confessional references concerning this. Two confessional statements. The first is found in the Canons of Dort, Head 1, Article 15. And there in the Canons of Dort, Head 1, Article 15, the Canons is, is setting forth the truth of predestination, double predestination, election, and reprobation. And pointing out that God has ordained certain men and women to be vessels of wrath fitted unto destruction. And God has ordained even their sin. But the canons say this concerning that, which by no means makes God the author of sin. And then the canons add this, the very thought of which is blasphemy. That's the first reference. And the second reference is in the Belgic Confession of Faith, Article 13. The article dealing with God's providence, God's providential control of all things that take place in this world and in our lives, including sin. And in the Belgic Confession, Article 13, the confession is made and the statement is given, God neither is the author of nor can be charged with the sins that are committed. God is sovereign, yes. God is sovereign over sin. But God is not the author of sin. And if you think of it, there are a number of very solid reasons why God is not and cannot be the author of sin. The first of those reasons is that God hates sin. How can a God who is himself holy and righteous, a God who hates sin, be the one that we blame for sin? God hates sin. And a second 
solid reason why God cannot be the author of sin is because sin originates in the sinful heart of man. Though God decrees sin, where does that sin arise? Where does that sinful thought and that sinful idea and that sinful plan originate? It originates in the sinful heart of sinful men, women, and children. And following closely from that is a third reason why God cannot be the author of sin, namely, man commits the sin. God doesn't commit that sin. God doesn't commit one sin. But sinful man commits the sins that are committed, and he willfully commits them. He's not forced by God to commit them. That's why the, the canons of Dort are very adamant that it is blasphemy to say God is the author of sin. And then we can add a fourth purpose, a fourth reason, I mean, why God cannot be the author of sin, namely that when it comes to sin and God's ordination of sin and God's sovereign control of sin by his providence, God always has a good purpose with sin. A good purpose and a good reason for ordaining sin. A good purpose and reason for controlling and directing sin. A good purpose and reason for using sin. As Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50 verse 20, ye meant it for evil but God meant it for good to save much people alive as it is this day. And so I say again, the catechism in its answer to the question of where does sin come from is indirectly making clear to us God is not the author of sin. And the catechism teaches that and points that out when it says that God is not at fault for man's sin because God did not create man as a sinner. God created man good. The record of God's work of creating man is found in Genesis chapter 1. Verses 26 and 27, which speak of God creating man in his own image. And then verse 31, at the end of God's creative work of all things, God said in verse 31, he saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there are two key words there in that verse, Genesis 1:31, namely that word everything, and the word, very good. The finished product of the universe as God ended his work of creating everything in six days was that the universe was very good. There were no imperfections in the universe. There was no sin in the universe. There were no defects in anything that God had made. 
the creation that God finished in six days was flawless. And that was true of man as well. No flaws and no defects in humanity, in Adam and Eve. They were perfect. And it wasn't just that you could look at Adam and Eve from the outside and you could observe how they lived and you could hear the things that they said and you could observe their actions in paradise and say they look good on the outside but there must have been some defect on the inside of them. Not that. Not like a new television that you might purchase, but there's an internal defect. It looks good on the outside, but later it has a problem. It breaks down. That was not how Adam and Eve were created by God. They were perfect both inside and out. In every part, God created them to have a perfect body, created them to have perfect mind created them to have a perfect will, a perfect soul. And God created them in such a way that they lived a perfect life as they came from the hands of God, their creator. And that was all true of Adam and Eve because as Genesis 1, 26 and 27 point out, and as the Catechism itself mentions in Question and Answer 6, they were created in God's image. God made them in His image. God made them in His likeness. God made them to be like Him, like God. Not physically, of course. That's impossible. They could not be physically like God, because God is spirit, and they were made by God to be flesh and blood, to be earthly. But they were like God. They were like God spiritually. A creature that was a reflection of God, a creature that was a reflection of God's perfection a creature that was sinless as God is sinless, a creature that was upright as God is upright, a creature that was good and perfect as God is good and perfect, and a creature, therefore, that was able to obey God perfectly. A creature that had true righteousness, as the Catechism mentions, and true holiness, as well as true knowledge, the three parts that make up the image of God in man. God created Adam and Eve and all mankind in them as creatures who had no deficiencies, no weaknesses, no imperfections, and no flaws. They were sinless, and they were upright. God's good creation. 
God beheld all that he had made. And behold, it was very good. Adam and Eve included. And therefore we can never say, it's God's fault that I am a sinner. We can never say as an excuse for sinning, and maybe we are tempted, inclined to say it, or at least inclined to think that way. Maybe our children are sometimes tempted to think that way. The reason I am prone by nature to hate God and my neighbor is because God eternally planned that this would be so and then made me this way. No. Again, we're reminded of that statement in the Canons of Dort, the very thought of which is blasphemy. God is not the author of sin, and God is not to be blamed for the existence of sin and sinner. So who is to blame? Whose fault is it if it's not God's fault? And that's answered in the Catechism very clearly in question and answer seven. Whence then proceeds this depravity of human nature? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve in paradise. Hence our nature has become so corrupt that we are all conceived and born in sin. When it comes to asking the question, why am I a sinner? The child of God must say, I'm a sinner because of something that I myself did. I'm a sinner because I disobeyed God. It's my own fault that I'm a sinner. That's clear from the account of man's fall into sin that we read in Genesis chapter 3. God made man upright. God made man perfect. God created man in his image with true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And God gave to Adam and Eve a very clear command in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. But Adam and Eve listened to Satan. And Adam and Eve believed the lies of Satan. And Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. And Adam and Eve disobeyed and rebelled against God. And the result? They became sinners. They became sinful within. 
They now had a sinful, depraved nature which was incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. And that was true of Adam and Eve, not because the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was poisonous and somehow that fruit killed them, This was true of them because they disobeyed God and God punished them for their disobedience as he said he would when he said, in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the punishment of death that God brought upon Adam and Eve and all mankind was spiritual death especially. They died within. They became totally depraved sinners as God's judgment upon them for eating the forbidden fruit. So whose fault that all men are sinners? It's mankind's fault. Adam and Eve and all mankind are at fault. And even more personally, whose fault is it that You are a sinner? You must confess it's your own fault. And something in Genesis 3, which we read concerning man's fall into sin, makes it abundantly clear that it is man's fault. And that is that though God was sovereign over all things, over the sin of Adam and Eve and over everything that happened in Genesis 3, sovereign over Satan, who took on him the form of a serpent, a snake, and spoke through that snake to Adam and Eve, sovereign over the temptation itself, sovereign over Adam and Eve's eating the forbidden fruit, and sovereign over their fall into sin, so that The fall was not an accident to God, before God, and the fall was not a surprise to God, though all of that was true. What Genesis 3 makes plain is that Adam and Eve sinned willfully against God. There is no evidence at all that Adam and Eve did something against their wills. There is no evidence at all that Adam and Eve were forced to sin by God against what they wanted to do. Eve willingly spoke with the devil and freely decided to believe his lie and to eat the forbidden fruit. And Adam likewise He freely listened to what Eve told him that the devil told her. And he evaluated, and he decided, and he believed that lie, and he ate the forbidden fruit. Man is fully to blame. If God had forced Adam and Eve to commit that sin, though they did not want to, then that would be a different story. Then you could perhaps say, 
God is the author of sin. But God did not force that. They did it willingly. They did it deliberately. And they are fully to blame because they disobeyed God. But that brings us, beloved, to this question. What about ourselves? Why are we to blame? Someone might say, do I really have to take the blame for something that I did not personally do? Isn't it just Adam and Eve's fault? Seems to me it should be. After all, they were the ones who ate the forbidden fruit. The scripture, beloved, tells us we ate the forbidden fruit. We listened to the devil. We chose to sin against God when Adam and Eve did. And the reason for that is that Adam was the head of the whole human race. And as the head of the whole human race, Adam was the representative of all mankind. What he did, we did. Adam's sin was the sin of everyone. When he sinned, we sinned. As Romans 5.12 states, death has passed upon all men. Why? For that all have sinned. And that death that has passed upon all men, referred to there in Romans 5 verse 12, is spiritual death. Our total depravity. Total depravity has passed on to all men, has passed on to us. We are by nature totally depraved because all have sinned in Adam. Though it's difficult to do, we must admit, it's my fault that I'm a sinner. I only have myself to blame. God made us good, but we threw it all away. As Ecclesiastes 7 verse 29 points out, Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made men upright, but they have sought out many inventions. God hath made men upright, but man has sought out sin. God hath made men upright, but man himself has sought out total depravity. It is our own fault that we are sinners. And so this Lord's Day has stated why we are sinners. Not because of God, but because of our own committing original sin. And this Lord's Day has stated as well how sinful we are. Our nature is become so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin. 
How sinful are we? By nature, we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness. But, beloved, the Catechism does not stop there. The Catechism does not stop there because the Word of God does not stop there. If the Catechism stopped here and just said, well, this is who we are, we're by nature totally depraved, our nature is so corrupt that we're all conceived and born in sin, we're wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all evil, that would leave us hopelessly lost hopelessly lost in sin, hopelessly condemned by God for our sin and without any hope and without any comfort and without any gospel. But there is gospel here, gospel in this Lord's Day concerning the origin of our sin. This is a significant truth for our salvation because this truth shows that salvation is of the Lord. And it is a marvelous salvation that is of the Lord. It is true, everything is hopeless as far as we ourselves are concerned, and we have to realize that. We can do nothing ourselves to please God. We can do nothing ourselves to help God save us. We can do nothing ourselves to even deserve being saved by God. Because there is no good in us. And worst of all, our being totally depraved by nature also means this. We don't even want God to save us. We have no interest even in the idea of being saved from sin. The sinner is someone who is floating down a river toward a waterfall, which means imminent and certain destruction. The river is really a river of sewage. And he says, I'm enjoying this. Leave me alive. But over against what we are by nature stands the wonder of God's almighty grace that saves us. Salvation is all of God and nothing of us. One who confesses by the grace of God his or her depravity is led by the grace and the Spirit of God to say, I cannot save myself. I can do nothing to be saved. I cannot help God save me. My salvation is and must be God's work alone. And as I said, the Catechism doesn't stop with simply telling us about our total depravity. Just as God did not, when he spoke to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, 
after their fall in sin, stop by pointing out their sin. But he spoke the gospel to them when he spoke of the seed of the woman that would come. And then he demonstrated that truth to them when he clothed them with the skins of an animal, Genesis 3, verse 21, killing a lamb or some other animal to point ahead to the Christ who would die for them. And so, here too in this Lord's Day, there is a ray of hope. There is good news pointed out in answer 8 of the Catechism. Are we then so corrupt that we are wholly incapable of doing any good and inclined to all wickedness? Indeed we are, except, except we are regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's what God has done to us. Regenerated us. Put a new life within us. We have been born again. We have been given a new nature, a new heart, a new life. God has performed a miracle on us. He has taken those who are spiritually dead in trespasses and sins and he has made them alive in Christ. And what we have thrown away, namely the image of God, by our fall into sin, God has graciously restored to us in Christ. And part of the miracle that God has done when God regenerates his people, is this. By nature, we could only hate God and the neighbor, but now as those who are regenerated, we are able to love God and our neighbors. And part of the miracle is also this. By nature, we were incapable of doing any good. But because God has regenerated us, we are now capable of doing good. Imperfectly, yes. But we can do good. And we do do good by the grace and power of God. We can now rightly know God, our Creator, and we can heartily love and serve him. And we do that out of thankfulness and praise to him who has made this exception true for us. An exception that makes all the difference for us. An exception that enables and empowers us to do good, and an exception that motivates us to do it out of thanks and praise to him. And therefore, although the truth of our total depravity and of our being 
the ones to blame for it is a truth that is humbling. Confessing this truth as it is set forth here in this Lord's Day, we may go home comforted. God, through Christ, has provided and has made an exception, an exception that he has applied to us by the Spirit, an exception that is now a reality for every child of God. And so we confess, yes, I died in Adam. I did. I am, by nature, totally depraved. But this exception applies to me because God is gracious. And now I am alive in Christ and his life is now in me too. And in thankfulness I walk in and I do the good works that God has ordained for me to do so that God might be praised for what he has done. Amen. Let us pray. Our God and Father in heaven, we thank thee for the word of the gospel. We thank thee for the work of Christ. And we thank thee for the work of the Spirit who has regenerated us and given us the life of Christ. We thank thee for thy mighty work in leading us to walk in the way of thy commandments in gratitude and thanks unto thee. Bless this word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.